have spent my entire professional career in tech. And in every role I've had, I've tried to pay special attention to the connection between tech and doing good. It started when I was in high school. Every summer, I'd code for Microsoft in Redmond, Washington. I created a series of code that would help people find solutions to problems that seem minute, like searching for a car or looking up the price of a home. After university, I did a few stints at companies and brands that were changing the behavior of society. For instance, I worked for a popular and early stage startup that helped folks get a ride at any time. I researched how access to immediate and on-demand transportation was changing the world. And for a time, I was a contractor for a tech company growing a high-speed internet service. I made sure we helped subsidize housing residents get free internet services. Silicon Valley has had its fair share of lifestyle companies, from delivering our food to helping us assemble furniture. Sometimes it even feels as if companies that focus on community needs are increasingly rare in the crowded tech space. But I've seen firsthand that it is possible to build things that can benefit humanity in big and small ways. Imagine what we could create if we committed ourselves to this work. I'm Sherelle Dorsey, and this is TED Tech. Today, we join Princeton University professor Dr. Ruha Benjamin on the TED stage as she pushes us to question exactly who is benefiting from rapid technological advancement. How do we make investments into a future that takes the wants and needs of everyone into account, not just those with the most power? This transmission is for future generations. As it stands, a small sliver of humanity is currently imposing their visions on the rest of us. They invest in space travel and AI superintelligence and underground bunkers, while casting healthcare and housing for all as outlandish and unimaginable. These futurists let their own imaginations run wild when it comes to bending material and digital realities, but their visions grow limp when it comes to transforming our social reality, so that everyone has the chance to live a good and meaningful life. We are, in many ways, trapped inside the lopsided imagination of those who monopolize power and resources. To benefit the few at the expense of the many, and as I see it, there are two stories these monopolists sell us about what the future holds. The first is the Silicon Valley version, in which all our preferences are tracked and desires catered to: chatbots, virtual assistants, driverless cars at our beck and call. All our wants and needs met in an instant. This is their utopia. Where technology is our savior, a future where our automated offspring know us better than we know ourselves. Ease and convenience, just a click away. And in their wildest dreams, we merge with technology, optimizing our potential to be stronger, smarter, superhuman. The other 
story, preferred by Hollywood, is grittier, more chaotic. Conflict and competition run rampant. It's Hunger Games meets Blade Runner meets The Matrix. People are ruthless and unpredictable. Inequality and precarity are permanent features in our lives. In this dystopian vision, technology is our slayer, displacing and dominating humanity. And while these sounds like opposing narratives, they have different endings for sure, one in which we're saved, one in which we're slayed, they actually share an underlying logic. And in both, we give up power. Both stories assume technology is in the driver's seat, propelled by a will of its own. In the utopic and dystopic stories, technology impacts us, for better or worse, but our impact on technology. The human inputs, shall we say, are missing. The values, assumptions, interests, and needs that shape our digital and physical worlds are nowhere to be seen. To move forward, we have to pull back the screen. Rather than agonizing about a coming dystopia or longing for a future utopia, we have to reckon with us-topia. Ustopia is a word I'm borrowing from Margaret Atwood to describe the fact that the future is us. However loathsome or loving we are, so will we be. Whereas utopias are the stuff of dreams, dystopias the stuff of nightmares, ustopias are what we create together when we're wide awake. Ustopias invite us into a collective imagination in which we, we still have tensions, but where everyone has what they need to thrive. When I was a grad student at UC Berkeley in the early 2000s, I witnessed firsthand how innovation often deepens social inequity. As the tech sector grew, people who had lived in the Bay Area for generations were displaced and discarded. At the time, I was researching the social dimensions of biotechnology. As I observed scientists growing heart cells using pluripotent stem cells beating in a Petri dish, I thought about how hard it is to grow empathy for other human beings in our everyday lives. Here were billions of dollars being poured into the future of medicine, but healthcare for all was somehow far-fetched. This is what I mean by a lopsided imagination, where we can imagine regenerating sick bodies, but not an ailing body politic. Utopias require inequality and exclusion. Ustopias center collective well-being over gross concentrations of wealth. They're built on an understanding that all of our struggles from climate justice to racial justice, are interconnected, that we are interconnected. Take what's happening in Barcelona, Spain, where a large-scale participatory experiment has been underway for almost 10 years now, using a digital platform called Decidim, which means we decide in Catalan, alongside in-person neighborhood-level deliberations to create policies that respond to people's actual needs. And the thing is, technology companies are not driving what's happening. The collective intelligence of people from all walks of life 
are. Proponents call it a new deal on data that recognizes data sovereignty, privacy, collective rights to data. Decidim is open source software, so it's already been adapted and used in over 80 other cities, guaranteeing public transparency in a way commercial platforms don't. Once you install Decidim, you can create, comment, consult on ideas, and track what happens in real time. Over 40,000 residents have submitted proposals on everything from affordable housing to air quality, and about 70% of the government's action plan have been derived directly from these proposals. Take Superblocks, an initiative to cut carbon emissions and improve air quality, where 12 city districts have been closed to through traffic. So the interior blocks are more hospitable to pedestrians, cyclists, more green space. On the Barcelona coastline, another initiative is underway in which residents are working to, to make it more accessible to locals rather than simply a playground for elites and cruise ships. Notice how different this is than the typical top-down, we-know-best approach to shaping the future. Like what happened with Sidewalk Labs in Toronto, Google's urban development smart city play that would have collected masses of data in order to create more efficient and convenient city services, but which in the end was tech-driven rather than people-driven. Sidewalk Labs staged public input sessions in order to appear responsive to residents' concerns about the newfangled surveillance that would have been embedded into the Quayside neighborhood, but people saw through the proposal and put an end to the development. In fact, there are utopias taking shape right here in Atlanta. Known by some as Silicon Peach or Techlanta, because it's the fastest-growing urban tech hub in the country, it's also the city with the highest income inequality in the nation. Which shouldn't surprise us when we remember that the fantasies of some are so often the nightmares of others. In many places, tech booms actually exacerbate inequality, increasing the cost of living, displacing local residents, and creating high-tech tools for surveillance and social control. But that's only half of the story. Because here in Atlanta and in many other locales, we're also witnessing an historic mobilization of residents, creating utopias that prioritize people over profit, public goods over policing. It started a few years ago when Atlanta officials announced plans to build Cop City, a massive $90 million facility that would have trained police from all over the country. The development would include cutting down Wilani Forest, one of the four lungs of Atlanta that protects against heat waves and floods and which is located next to a predominantly black working-class community. But ATLians were having none of it. <laughs> Utilizing direct action, digital tools, a broad coalition has formed to push back against the militarizing imagination of the city. Atlanta's forest defenders remind us that true community safety relies on connection, not cops, on public goods like housing and health care, not punishment. They understand that protecting people and the planet go hand in hand. From college student to clergy, 
environmental activists to indigenous elders. They're inviting us into a collective imagination in which our ecological and our social well-being go hand in hand. And Astopia, right in our own backyards. And even children are pushing back against the lopsided imagination of city officials. Like one who asked, what did cops do to deserve a playground? <laughs> As they sat in the kids' zone outside of the city council meeting where hundreds of people had showed up to speak out against Cop City. Together, they're reminding us that deadly systems may seem durable, but they're not inevitable. And we don't simply have to click submit. We can each work to strengthen the social fabric in our own locale and create a shared vision in which no one is left behind. We can follow the example of data justice organizers in Barcelona, forest defenders in Atlanta, imagining and crafting the worlds we cannot live without, just as we dismantle the ones we cannot live within. The first step is to stop policing the borders of our own imagination. A world without prisons? Ridiculous. Schools that foster the genius of every child? Naive. Work that doesn't drive us into the grave? Impossible. A society where everyone has food, shelter, love, in your dreams, exactly. Dr. Benjamin asks us to grapple with the pervasive issue. We have the power to determine our futures and the futures of those around us too. We might never realize a perfect society, but we should pause to consider how our actions or inactions might lead to downstream consequences. How does what we decide today affect those we usually do not consider? Could we, as Dr. Benjamin offers in her talk, respond to people's actual needs and create a collective intelligence that pushes society forward through intentional technology and design? Take, for instance, the current trends in social impact investing and social entrepreneurship. It's a model of intentional venture capital that focuses on a strategy to support environmental, social, and governance aspects to positively impact society. And it's slated to grow over $500 billion by 2027. This area of merging capital with impact is not a completely new idea. Since 2008, SOCAP Global, powered by the Sorensen Impact Institute, has organized an annual summit. Over 30,000 investors and entrepreneurs convene to share practices on social, racial, environmental, and economic justice through business-centered solutions. Groups of all kinds are meeting around the world to determine how to turn capital into sustainable social solutions that may help change the trajectory of people's lives and their communities and maybe even ultimately create a better society for all of us. I, for one, look forward to seeing Dr. Benjamin's Us-topia come true. That's it for today. TED Tech is part of the TED Audio Collective. This episode was produced by me and Nina Lawrence, edited by Alejandra Salazar, and fact-checked 
by Hana Matsudira. Special thanks to Maria Ladias, Verde Grunge, Simone Ross, Daniela Bellarezo, and Michelle Quint. I'm Sherelle Dorsey. Let's keep digging into the future. Talk to you again next week.